What is up, and welcome to the TriStar Takedown. I'm your co-host, Mitch Davis. Joining me on the other side of the state, the press side of the state, based off his voice you're going to hear in this podcast, Jake Nichols. Welcome to the TriStar Takedown, episode six, week one, recap. Jake, I know you've had better days. How's, how's, it, how's it going, man? Well, I'm, I'm not dead, unlike the Tennessee program, so that's, <laughs> that's good. So that's the that's the positive of the day is you're not dead. I mean, yeah. so uh, let's talk about it. I mean, let's let's just open it up. We all know that Georgia State defeated Tennessee. Uh, what was the final, oh, the final score was like, what, 38-30, I think it was? Yeah. 38-30 to 30 and would have been worse had Juwan Jennings not caught a touchdown pass with two seconds left. So probably, I mean, let's just call it for what it is. It was a lot worse than the score was. Like, yeah. it was like it was bad. So let's talk about it before we get to the positive side of the state and Memphis and their big win over Ole Miss. Jake, what is the kind of the takeaway from Knoxville right now? Like I can tell, we can all tell by your voice that basically you guys are going through the pits right now. Yeah, you you about summed it up. I think that the general feeling right now is 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 numbness based on what this program and this fan base has been put through in the past but also just just pure shock I mean last year you know even coming off last season coming off those losses to to Missouri and Vanderbilt last season things were looking up going into this year Tennessee got Jim Chaney Jared Garantano was communicating with him well um the defense was looking good you know every everything was solid going into this season and then all of a sudden uh the the wheels just started coming off even before uh kickoff Saturday, you know, with Daniel Batuli going through knee surgery, with Bryce Thompson being suspended, um, you know, with with all those factors coming in, plus the fact that Tennessee was probably already looking ahead to BYU and the fact that they were playing a very and take nothing away here from Georgia State. They came in ready to play, and they did. And, you know, I, I think I could tell from the first few plays even that, that it was going to be much closer than anticipated just because, you know, Tennessee was a 24-25 point favorite. But even from that first few plays, whenever uh, Jared Garantano threw that first interception, whenever Georgia State came off the field, I was – standing pretty close to their sideline um just the way they were fired up they were ready to go they came in hungry and it showed so basically i mean like the, the there's legitimately no words that you can put into context here of how you guys feel how the program is but after that loss what is the current state of the program complete and utter disarray like, I would say. is there any hope for the rest of the season? If it is, then you will have to dig a lot deeper than they did yesterday to find it. So here, here's the question here, because I mean, we all know what happened to BYU, to Utah. I mean, they lost by, what, 20-something points? Right. It was like, – yeah, It was what, – Like, what do you – It was 30 What do you 12. do? Yeah, what do you do? What, what do you do if you're Tennessee – you go into this BYU game, which, by the way, everybody knows there's going to be alcohol sales at Neyland Stadium for that BYU game. And you've already yeah. said, and you've already said before we got on here, you said 
maybe 60,000 at the game, but you're, expect, you're expecting 75% of that not to be there. So, like, if you had to put a total of people that had to be butts in the seat at Neyland Stadium on Saturday afternoon when BYU travels to town, what is it going to be at? I'm going to say 65,000, and that's with Checker Neyland being in Knoxville. Now, I, I do believe in this fan base's ability to rally because Tennessee has one of, if not the most resilient fan base that we've seen in college football just they've been dealt blow after blow after blow after blow and then all of a sudden with you know losing to a non-power five school for the first time since 2008 another gigantic blow to this program you know they're they're still what they call the sunshine pumpers all around this state that say you know it's only one game um they're gonna be fine the 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 optimists that never say die and I think we're going to see a lot of those on Saturday against BYU. Now, let's uh, let's face it. This game is going to be tough. I mean, coming into the season, he's thought, okay, it's BYU. You know, you should win. Coming into this game after losing to Georgia State, do you expect the team to have any fire? I mean, do you expect this team to come out and, you know, play with a little pep in the step a little bit per se? Or, or is the guys basically in the locker room? Because I know you're in the press conference. You're at practices every week. I mean, what's the mood? Like what? Like what's? I know the fans mood, but what's the players mood after this? I will tell you that I know that I know that Jarrett Garantano and Nigel Warrior are two people on this team that will come out ready to play next week, based on what they said in the press conference. You know, Nigel said that he was absolutely flabbergasted by the result, and then Garantano, or excuse me, Garantano. Garantano, going going by the correct pronunci- correct pronunciation um, for anyone listening, my apologies. I did not study enough study up enough on uh, hooked on phonics, I guess, or listen to Garantano's correct pronunciation of his name before this podcast. Um, but based on their words yesterday, you know, they talked about being flabbergasted. They talked about being pissed. Um, I think they're going to come out on fire, and I think that if this entire roster does not come out ready to absolutely knock someone's head off in this BYU game and really show what they're made of, then Jeremy Pruitt has absolutely lost this team and he should be done. Because if you can't use this loss, if you can't use something this demoralizing for a program of Tennessee's history and tradition and pride, then if you can't use that as fuel to motivate your players going into a monumental game against BYU in week two and get them ready to not, not schemes, not X's and O's, not even just like the simple uh, formation alignment, but if you can't get them amped up enough in a mentality that's ready to show some pride in what they actually have in the tank, then you should be fired. So basically, and, and I asked you this yesterday, after that game, I know it's early, but is Jeremy Pruitt still the guy at Tennessee? It's going to take a lot for me to answer that with a yes. Right now, I'm a very shaky maybe. I don't want to say no. I don't want to give an entire no because what happened yesterday Despite the fact that it, it was not a fluke, Georgia State came ready to play, and they did 
for four quarters. They showed that they were the better team, and they absolutely were. But what happened yesterday was also what I think what a lot of people would call a very Tennessee thing to happen. And so going into next week, I'm going to give you a very shaky maybe that Jeremy Pruitt is still the guy. It's going to take a lot, I think, for for me, for media members, and for this fan base to believe that he's still the right person to right the ship here in Knoxville. And I think that you have to start immediately. That, Like I said, coming into this BYU game, you know, it's Checker Neyland, and let's face it, there's probably going to be 70,000 people in the stands max. But if this team doesn't come out, every single person on the roster ready to show what they're really made of and ready to knock someone's head off, then if Jeremy Pruitt can't get that kind of motivation out of them this week and can't get them ready after using this loss as fuel, then he is absolutely not the right man for the job and should have never taken the position in the first place. Let's uh, let's play the hypothetical game here. Let's say they do come out flat against BYU, drop another egg. I mean, who do you go after? Who like if you know? Let's say Jeremy Pruitt doesn't get a team to play. They go two and ten, three and nine, four and eight, even four and eight. If you're Tennessee, you get rid of Jeremy Pruitt. Who do you go after? I at this point, um. I, I would say that you definitely don't go after another coordinator. That is for sure. Um, heck, you you might even go after Sean Elliott, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> but, you know, at this point, honestly, Elliott probably would be a good candidate. But, you know, you look at, um, let's see, thinking thinking about how they've done. Um, less miles in Kansas could be a yeah, possibility. Yeah, less miles would definitely be um, – a possibility. I'm trying to think like of of you know smaller programs. Because I, I don't I, right now, I don't think he, I don't think he freezes leave, leave Liberty. Oh, no, I, I really don't. And, and Craig think he's not going to allow that in the SEC. Right. Uh, Mike Norvell. I mean, we talked about this off the air, but Memphis is a better program than Tennessee right now, and that's oh, right I, now. Not, absolutely, not but, history wise, but, but that's yeah. But I don't think Mike Norvell would leave Memphis for Tennessee. I don't think well, there's don't any either. way in his what. I don't either. I, I really don't. There, I there's mean, no way in your right mind that you leave Memphis right now for a, the dumpster fire that is Tennessee football, for, for being a part of a program that right now, even with Philip Fulmer at the helm, is is this blatantly in shambles. Basically, so here's the thing, though. What do you think caused it? I mean, this has been building up for the last 10 years. You know, you start with Derek Dooley, you go to Butch Jones, and now you've got Jeremy Pruitt. What has been that one or two, I guess, tipping points for this program that have said, hey, we're going to go from really good competing in the SEC, SEC East, going to Atlanta, you know, playing the SEC Championship, go to the Citrus Bowl, go to all these good bowl games. What was the tipping point for Tennessee over the last 10 years to get to this point in the program? I firmly believe that the first tipping point was forcing Philip Fulmer's resignation as soon as they did, because Tennessee had been the SEC East champion the year before, lost to LSU 21 to 14 in the 2007 SEC championship. Right. So Eric, so we know, you know, Tennessee fans looking back at that game, Eric Ainge, obviously with a crucial pick in the fourth quarter, um, to kind of seal that game for the Tigers. Um, but 
the the resignation, the forced resignation of Philip Fulmer was one thing because after one five and seven season, you know, it, it tells you what this program has fallen to as well, that they would force the resignation of one of the most heralded coaches in history after one five and seven year. And then, you know, 10 years later, nine, 10 years later, allow a coach like Butch Jones to go five and seven um, and just put mediocre products on the field year after year and act like he just won the Super Bowl. With, uh, with, three, with three straight losses to Vanderbilt and more than likely a four straight loss this year, unless Tennessee gets their, you know, the ship turned around a little bit, you know, the, the, the vessel back on track. But the thing about it is it's, so, it's going to be so hard for Tennessee fans to buy him. Because, yeah. you know, yeah, you might have 60,000 at the, at the game on Saturday, but you're still going to be missing another forty to 50,000 that's usually at the game. You know, oh, no and doubt. So, and, the, and, yeah, and, and, and it's getting your program to buy in, you know, and it's like, okay, yeah, we got a brand new coach, you know, his first year last year, he didn't do so hot. He got a good win over Kentucky, uh, still lost to Vanderbilt, but it's going to be hard for that fan base to buy in unless they see to go to the Citrus Bowl, to go to the Outback Bowl, to go to the, even go to the Music City or Birmingham Bowl, just to get to that postseason play. And if you're Tennessee, you lose to Georgia State. Now you still set yourself up with you still got to go to Florida. You still got Alabama. You still got Georgia, South Carolina, Kentucky, Mizzou, who lost to Wyoming. I mean, you start looking down the schedule. The only I would even I would even go this far. But the only guaranteed win on the schedule should be UT Chattanooga. And honestly, not, not even that at this point. Exactly. And so if you're a Tennessee fan and you're trying to get these guys to buy in, it's like and like anything, you know, you got to see the product on the field. And I, you know, that's why a lot of people in the state and a lot of people across the volunteer state deserve better. I mean, they, you know, you look at the state of Tennessee and it's like, you have to get to that bowl game because when you have Vanderbilt going to back at three straight bowl games, winning three straight games over Tennessee, you've got Memphis going to five straight bowl games, going to back to back American athletic championship games. You've got middle Tennessee state. who's going to five straight bowl games. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like it, like it. You have to, and and it's so hard for these fans to buy in now. You see what I'm saying? Like it's just, and that's from the outside looking in. And I know you and I have talked about the last 24 hours to get these guys to buy in. It's going to be difficult. Yeah, and going back to what you asked earlier, the the tipping points. Um, I got through one of those in Fulmer's resignation, but I think it. I think the other one. And I firmly believe this one, too, was Lane Kiffin's decision to leave because he said repeatedly that as he's matured, he would not have left to take that USC job, you know, now if he were in that position. Yeah. And I think that that was the second biggest tipping point because it eliminated the recruiting class for the following year and it set off, you know, the cataclysmic era of Derek Dooley, which ended up kind of just, you know, going with the domino effect into what we have now. So are there, cause I know the recruiting's there, but what are the positives heading in? What are, I mean, are there any positives, Jake, before we get talking about Memphis and of course, Vandy and MTSU, UT chat, 
Are there any positives for this team? And what do you see for the rest of the season? I think that a couple of positives would be Eric Gray's play yesterday. He he played fairly well. I was impressed with him. And then other than that, I would say that the only positive is that no one got seriously injured. <laughs> Which is kind of sad. Yeah. I mean, it, like that's and, – and, 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 you know, I know everybody on the podcast that listens to, it, listens to us knows that I am on the Memphis side of things. But as a football fan, you want Tennessee to do good. Just like it, when Texas is good, when Georgia's good, Bama's good, USC's good. You want all these – you know, there's like 20 programs out there, USC, Tennessee, Georgia, Texas. When they're good, college football is good. You see what I'm saying? Nebraska is one of those programs. But when they're bad, college football is bad itself. And it's just like in basketball. In Kentucky, Duke, Kansas, Carolina, UCLA, Indiana, those programs are down. College basketball's down. And so as a college football fan, you're everybody's pulling for the volunteers to get back to that level. But over the last 10 years, it's hard to kind of see that happening. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, going off what you said even about Texas – you know, as a graduate of the University of Tennessee and as what, you know, before yesterday, before around four o'clock yesterday afternoon, as a person that was a proud alumnus of the University of Tennessee, I can now firmly say that with Texas hosting LSU next week, with college game day coming to town, with Sam Ellinger tossing it around for the Longhorns, and with or selling Ellinger, excuse me, and with Tom Herman leading them into you know a new era of Longhorn football, I can firmly say right now that Texas is the real UT. Oh, I mean, without a doubt, and that leads us kind of into the next chapter into this uh, into this podcast. We went 18 minutes talking about the Volunteers, and we're probably and we're probably not done this season. Oh, no. like we're no, no, no. like we're not done this season, and that's. That's the sad thing. But we had a guest on on Friday, Mike Morgan. I asked him the question, and this is how I'm going to transition into, you know, talking about the Vandy game, talking about MTSU, talking about Memphis. But I asked Mike Morgan, I also asked you this question too, Does is Tennessee starting to feel the pressure of Memphis? And I think now that after that loss and Memphis signifying, hey, we're here to stay after beating Ole Miss, I think that answer to that question has changed to yes. I think, you know, when you look at the other side of the state over the last five years, Memphis runs this state, you know, and, and I think that that's it, it's such a weird thing to say because 20 years ago, nobody would ever say that, you know, and, and I think right. as a Tennessee fan, I think if we had, you know, Mike Morgan back on a couple other guys back on, I think they would say the same thing. Hey, after that loss, yeah, after Memphis kind of shut down Ole Miss, I the pressure's there. I mean, the pressure is on – Jeremy Pruitt, not only to compete with the Tigers, but also compete with Vanderbilt, MTSU. I mean, you tell me, Austin P. I don't even know who else is in the state that plays football. It's UT Chat. Uh, you know, I mean, the pressure's on. The pressure's on to recruit at the high level, but not only to recruit at the high level, but to turn these guys over and to play uh, Tennessee volunteer football. Man, come on. The pressure is on right now for Jeremy Pruitt to even compete with, like, Knoxville area high schools for attendance. Which is kind of, I mean, if you look at the grand scheme of things, you look at the overall attendance this year, Maryville actually legitimately might have higher attendance. 
like yeah and you know going going off that you know um there are a couple high school games in knoxville that take place on saturdays this year and at this point you know you can't blame anyone one bit whether their kids playing or not if they're going to go to the high school game if they're going to go watch the alcoa tornadoes put a thumping on somebody on any given friday or saturday rather than watch jeremy pruitt's dumpster fire take the field in the Newland stadium and it's a lot cheaper too i mean it's absolutely then go, I think, what is yeah. the high school game? $7, $8? Tennessee tickets are still $65, $70, $800. ridiculous. And that, look, that's the thing. If you're Philip Foreman, you look at, you reevaluate the, the season. Maybe you do what Memphis is doing. Go sell $10 tickets at Kroger. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, you do what you got to do to put butts in the seats, whether that's reducing ticket prices, whether that's hiring, hiring a dang clown to come perform at halftime. <laughs> You've got to do something. To, to make this enjoyable again for fans, whether the, whether the program is winning or not. Obviously, that's the first step to getting fans back in the seats um, because obviously we saw on Saturday that, you know, they were gone by halftime. Most of Newland Stadium empty. So, which, which I think was going to help with this, and I uh, saw this on Facebook and Twitter, is the sell of alcohol. I mean, <laughs> at this rate, Tennessee might need it. I mean, like, oh, yeah. like it's, it's bad. But, hey. Let's talk about some positive things. Middle Tennessee State went into Michigan, the big house. Looked really good. I mean, they only lost by 19 points. Like, yes. Middle looked good yesterday. And I tell you what, <laughs> Vanderbilt didn't look bad either. Like, I mean, I know it was like, what, 30-something to three or something like that. But, like, Vanderbilt could have easily been blown out like they were last year to Alabama by, like, 60. But Vanderbilt held pretty tight. My boy Kishon Vaughn had a pretty good game for the Commodores. Oh, yeah. And then uh, for uh... – for MTSU, big shout out to my guy Blake Catlett on the offensive line there for MTSU, helping pave the way for that Blue Raider offense, which put up 21 points yesterday. Not a terrible showing for them. Which is the same MTSU team that went into Commonwealth Stadium last year against Kentucky and should have. They had opportunity after opportunity to beat the Wildcats last year. Yeah, so, I, I think we both know I was pulling for MTSU in that game. <laughs> I mean, which is understandable. But, hey, let's keep it positive from the rest of the show on out. We talked about the balls. Let's talk about the other team on the other side of the state. Memphis Tigers, I know you watched some of that game. You were texting me throughout. What is your outside take of the Memphis Tigers after that big 15-10 to 10 win over Ole Miss? They're even scarier than I thought. Um, you know, I watched hype videos from yesterday, watching the game um, from, I will say, it was, it was a stark contrast yesterday. You know, whenever I came in from being outside on that sideline at Newland Stadium, sun was coming down. It was blazing hot. Nobody in the stands coming inside and feeling that cool, sweet, fresh air. And then you look up and Memphis is, at least for the first part of that game, they were putting a whooping on Ole Miss. So, you know, even even though I will say that uh, that I don't like Memphis in basketball, seeing someone from the home state do something positive for the day was was good to see you know the thing about that Ole Miss game is when when Ole Miss came when Ole Miss came back you know they they cut it down Memphis had took like a 10 nothing lead to halftime or something like that they came back they came back but the Tigers were so resilient even though they couldn't get anything going on the deep ball with Brady White that defense for Memphis is one of the best defenses I've seen the Tigers have in recent memory I mean, when you have O'Brien Goodson, when you have guys like Brian Huff who come in there and got that big safety for the Tigers, 
Like, that safety was monumental. They booted them all the way down. That punt went, like, 65 yards, went all the way down the one-yard line. They downed it at the one. Matt Corral steps back in shotgun, and Huff comes off the line of scrimmage and lays the mess out of Matt Corral. Try to get away. Huff brought him down. And, you know, throughout that entire day, I texted you early on when I first got the same. I think I texted you at, like, 7, 7.30, I think, is what time I got out there, I think. You know, I don't know. Right. I was out at Tiger Lane early. But you could sense that that swag. You know, and, and Memphis is never going to be like Tennessee and have 100,000 there. They had, uh, I think, announced attendance was like 44, but I, it was well over that. It was like 55. I mean, it was because Memphis is well known for their uh, crummy ticket scanners and all that crap. But, I mean, that environment was awesome. You know, and after the game – Ole Miss had made those comments of, oh, well, Memphis's little brother, Memphis's little brother. But you kind of felt that sense of, one, they had that state pride because a lot of guys from the state of Tennessee play at Memphis. I mean, a lot of guys that are overlooked by Tennessee or overlooked by Vanderbilt, they come to play at Memphis. And a lot of that, you know, hey, we're not little brother, we're here to stay, was on showing at the Liberty Bowl Memorial Stadium on Saturday. And I think, you know, it is a stark contrast, but when you compare Tennessee and Memphis and Vanderbilt and Memphis – it's such an exciting time in the city of Memphis. I mean, you know, now we're not talking basketball yet, but when you look at Memphis, you look at their schedule. I mean, they got Southern University on Saturday, then they're back home against, uh, then they're back home against Navy on a Thursday night, and they go on the road a couple games. But Memphis wins that Ole Miss game. That sets them up beautifully for the rest of the season. Yeah, I really think it does. I told you, you know, before the season started, that I thought Memphis was a ten-win team, and I still believe that to be the case. And the thing about it is, and, and, you know, Mike Norvell said this yesterday in his press conference, he wants to play all these regional teams. Like, he wants to play Arkansas State. He wants to play Ole Miss, Mississippi State, uh, UT, Vandy. And the thing about it is, I think there needs to be more of that. You know, if Tennessee wants to sit here and say, oh, well, we're on the uprise, why don't you play the team that's actually on the uprise and prove yourself? You know, and I'm not just saying that for Tennessee. I'm saying that for Vanderbilt. I'm saying that for MTSU. There's no excuse for these state teams not to be playing each other. I would, I totally agree with you on that. And the thing about it is, it's like, you know, it, it's such a crazy thing because 20 years ago, Tennessee was winning national championships and Memphis was going 0 and 12. Now you flip the script, Memphis is playing for, likely to be playing for a New Year's Six spot. I mean, realistically, they have to compete with UCF and Cincinnati. But other than that, like, Memphis is realistically competing for a New Year's Six bowl. And Tennessee is going to be competing whether or not to even win four games. You know, so it's such a stark contrast. And that's the thing. When you look ahead to the future, if you're Tennessee and the Army Pro doesn't work out, you got to get a young coach like Mike Ravel. Absolutely. But but there, considering the fact that there's no way right now that Norvell would even come, you know, you talked to me about it earlier. Who would you pick if you're Philip Fulmer and you have to make that decision after the season to let Pruitt go and bring in somebody else? You know, even at, at the decline of Fulmer's career, you know, he's he's getting up there in age. And he said whenever he took the job in the first place that he only wanted to do it for a few years before handing off to someone else. But being faced with a major coaching decision, you know, just a few years before you probably want to retire and be able to spend that time with your grandchildren, who do you bring in? I mean, less miles. But even then, would he leave Kansas? Like, there's no, I, I don't know. I, I really, truly, and, I, and I've thought about that. I, we talked about I don't know. 
I, I don't know what – and the thing about it is, and you keep talking about Tennessee's athletic department, but it's like after that all debacle with Rick Barnes, I mean, is there much hope for the basketball team? Are they going to be distracted by the fact that had the money situation worked out, Rick Barnes would have been on his way out of Knoxville? Yeah, I think that's, that's not worrying people nearly as much as it should. Which is, which is scary because yeah. – and, and that – and I don't know if that speaks for the longevity of the program at UT or if that's just, I don't know. I mean, and then that's the thing, like we're both from the great state of Tennessee. I love the volunteer state. Uh, you know, I have a mad respect and, and you like, you have a mad respect for Memphis. I have a mad respect for UT. You know, you can't, you cannot not respect their football program. You cannot respect their basketball program and what they've done and what they mean to the state, what they mean to the SEC. But, and, and, and it's hard to watch. You know, and, and as a fan, I can't even imagine what it's like to be a fan, but it's like Rick Barnes wanted out. So what does that say about the athletics department? You know, and what's the next step to improve upon to get back on that level of per se per of Memphis? I mean, look at Memphis athletic department. Baseball's on the uprise. Basketball's where it's at. Football's where it's at. How do you get back on that level if you're Tennessee? I think that right now, I do think that Philip Fulmerl was the right call as far as an athletic director. But truthfully, I don't know. I wish I could give you an answer right now. But I thought that whenever Philip Fulmerl was hired as athletic director, that that would be it, that it would, it would kind of calm the seas, if you will. Um, but, you know, even after yesterday with Jeremy Pruitt putting out the product that he did on the field, and with the instability with Rick Barnes, truthfully, I don't know. Um, I, you know, I thought that, that what they had in place would provide some answers, would provide some success that this fan base has longed for since, you know, what, 2006, 2005? I mean, we were, what, eight years old? I mean, yeah. that's, that, I mean, that, and that, and that's reasonable. I mean, that's, we're both 23 years old. That was, yeah, I mean, we were eight, nine years old. I mean, that, and, and the thing about it is, and you go back and, you know, you ask anybody that's grown up in the state, you ask, you know, parents, grandparents, whoever you ask. And if you ask the question 20 years ago, hey, who would have the better athletic department, Memphis oh. or Tennessee? Everybody would say Tennessee. Like it, yeah, like, no and you ask that question 10 years ago, five years ago, Tennessee. Right. And after yesterday and after Rick Barnes tried to leave Tennessee, that's, that's changed, you know, and that's, you know, I mean, that, and, that, and that's the, that's the truth. I mean, that, that's not being down on Tennessee. That's not being down on Vol Nation. That is just speaking the truth. You know what I'm saying? Right. And there's, there is one other, um, that, looking on Twitter right now, there are several, you know, clips of people watching the game yesterday, just just absolutely jarring images schematically of Jarrett Garantano going to you know the wrong receiver versus someone who's open. Um, there's one that that points to poor coaching that I'm looking at right now that that Nate Hodges from Fox Sports Knoxville tweeted out you know earlier today. It's a picture of Wanye Morris um, helping Tennessee's right tackle double team a guy and leaving a Georgia State defender wide open to come in to Jarrett Garantano. And that's because they switched Wanye Morris from his position. You know, we were told leading into this game that if he came in, he was going to be 
going to be playing at tackle. And he was being put in at guard, at left guard in the second half. And so, you know, that points to coaching. And then also another note that I will say that Nate made um, that really should have a lot of people concerned is the fact that in the second half, on a pivotal fourth down play, fourth and one, fourth and two for Tennessee, you know, trying to decide whether or not to go for it, all the assistants start looking around for Jeremy Pruitt. They can't find him. So, and, and you know, from what I've heard, it showed it on TV. All these assistants start sprinting around trying to find Jeremy Pruitt. They find him in the huddle with the defensive line going over schemes and going over what they did wrong, you know, Mitch, that tells you, if nothing else, that at least for part of this game, Jeremy Pruitt was still stuck as a defensive coordinator and couldn't get out of his head to take over the responsibilities that being a head coach requires. He was still stuck in the mentality of being a coordinator rather than the leader of an entire team. Which completely shows you that, you know, he might not be the guy for this job. And, and, you know, I saw a funny tweet, and this is just a funny tweet, so Tennessee fans don't get mad at me for this. But Greg Shishiano never lost to Georgia Southern. Or George, is it Georgia Southern or Georgia Southern? Georgia, Georgia State, State. Georgia State. My, my apologies to the great Georgia State. Greg Shishiano never lost to them. Like, I mean, like, you have to look at that, and you're just kind of like, I mean, that's got a point. You know what I'm saying? And then, and then like, on the inside, I'm on the outside looking in, I mean, you look at a program. I keep coming back to Memphis because Memphis, we'll go over our power rankings, close out the show. But you look at Memphis as a whole. I mean, you look at Adam Fuller. You look at the offensive staff. They all know their responsibilities. Like, I was down on the field before Ole Miss. Mike Norvell came out there to kind of check on what's going on. But each offensive and defensive coordinator of every skill group was working with the players. Mike Norvell was just blowing the whistle. Like, they're stretching. Like, he wasn't wasn't doing the, you know, in-game coaching per position. Like, that doesn't happen – and that doesn't even happen at Vanderbilt. That doesn't happen at Vanderbilt. You look at Derek Mason. Derek Mason's got a control on his team where he says, hey, you do this, you do that. Derek Mason's job is to play call, is to get the yeah. play call, make the decision, and Jeremy Pruitt hasn't done that. He didn't yeah, do it. And- like, the best game that he coached last year was the Kentucky game. But then again, you kind of have to nitpick that apart. Kentucky was coming off an emotional high against Georgia where they were playing for their chance to go to Atlanta. They lost in – Pretty dramatic fashion, if I remember correctly. They did. I mean, it wasn't like Georgia dismantled them. Like, they did. Like, Kentucky played out, came out, played good. It was a very draining game. They came out against Tennessee overlooking the Vols. Like, completely overlooking the Vols because I think they had the next week they had Lowell, which they came out and won by, like, 65 points. So, I mean, they overlooked the Vols. I guarantee you that won't happen again this year. You look at Tennessee's schedule – I'm afraid, and this is the same thing that's happened the last 12 years against Alabama, I'm afraid for Tennessee's players' safety of what's going to happen to them against Mississippi State because those Mississippi State front defensive line are so big. Mississippi State's not even a great team. I'm afraid of what's going to happen to them when they line up against Alabama, when they line up against Felipe Franks and the Gators, when they line up against that Georgia front seven. I'm afraid of what's going to happen to them. Jared Gintano. Uh, I correct me there. Jared, uh, the quarterback. You guys. Garantano, like Garantano. Garantano. So, I'm afraid of what's going to happen to Hill. I mean, if they're leaving Georgia State defensive lineman wide open in the gap, what what's going to happen to him against Georgia, Alabama State, 
anybody on left on the schedule when you get into the SEC. I mean, do you think they're going to leave Cash Daniels, you know, unblocked when they play Kentucky and Commonwealth? Like, if they do that, Cash Daniels is probably going to break his arm. I mean, yeah. and that's that's sincere, and that's the thing. When you send me these tweets right now, that just goes down to coaching. I mean, we're both football guys. You can look at the field and you look at all twenty-two players out on the field, and you're like, man, it, it comes down to coaching. You know, I was at a high school game. Friday night, Bolton and FACS, I saw better coaching than what I'm seeing right now. And that's at the high school level. That's at a very dysfunctional high school at Bolton. So, I mean, I get the frustration with Tennessee fans. I get it. Like, I totally understand when you're looking at X and O's. I mean, just we'll talk X and O's in a second. But when you're just looking at this as a whole, I mean, I get it. I get it. I mean, because, you know, a lot of these parents, a lot of these kids – their high schools are better than what they're putting out there right now. You go to a Maryville game, guarantee you're going to be a lot more entertained. You go to a Briarcrest game, you're going to be a lot more entertained. You go to a Arlington game, you're going to be a lot more entertained. Knox Catholic, not, you know, I mean, you're going to be a lot more entertained all over the state just going to high school football. And so I think the, the long run of this season, I know there's what, 12 more games left. But, I mean, you look at the long run of the season, it's going to be easy for Tennessee fans to check out. You will find no disagreements with me there. I agree with every single point that you just made. But the the high school point is really what, what resonates with me. You're exactly right. You know, I went to the West Farragut game Friday night, and I saw better coaching on both sides of the ball. I saw better movement from the offensive line than what Tennessee has showed on Saturday. And I showed just better alignment overall. You know, whenever I mentioned what, what happened with – it from that tweet with Nate Hodges um, with him being in that huddle with the defensive line. I remember, you know, watching during preseason as he took Savion Williams and Elijah Simmons over to the side and, you know, was working with them on critiquing one small bit of their technique um, with the blocking sled. Those two freshmen specifically, no one else, just working with them on their own away from the rest of the team. And I was like, you know, that's really good to see. It's really good to see that, you know, he's getting down to the nitty-gritty of coaching and that, that Tennessee does have, in fact, a football coach as opposed to a shoe leader in Butch Jones. But, you know, that, that he's really getting down to the nitty-gritty of just showing them technique, showing them how he wants them to do something and working with them and fine-tuning that enough to where he gets it where he wants each person to be. But, you know, taking that to the other extreme – you know, you can do that in a practice situation. You can do that when you have time, when you have your other assistants to delegate to and to be able to, you know, handle practice, handle their parts of practice without you. And but that's what. Game, but in a game situation where you take that and, you know, you fine tune those little bits and you don't keep the big picture in mind as the head coach, you know, like with that fourth down call, that is very, very concerning. And it's something that I think that Philip Fulmer, if he hears about that situation, that he should address that with Pruitt. And I think when you look down at the just the fundamentals, that's taught in spring ball. That's not in so that's not in fall camp. That's not a fall right. camp thing you teach. That's when you get these guys on campus in April before the orange white game, and you're practicing for the whole month of March. That's when you get them on campus in February and you sit down with these guys because you're allowed individual workouts with your right. assistant coaches and your head coach. You're not allowed to practice as a team, but you're allowed individual workouts, which you and I both played football. 
you can go in that locker room, you can go in that weight room and teach the fundamentals. But if you're having right. to teach fundamentals at the higher level of college football in the SEC, I mean, I get offensive schemes, defensive schemes. But when you're trying to teach blocking at the SEC level, are you really recruiting the type of guy that needs to be in that program? I think that it was more of a difference in opinion on how they were doing something rather than simply doing it wrong, at least based on what I saw from those videos. Yep. That he was telling them to he was telling them to roll their hips more than what they were. Gotcha. See, and, 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 and just, we just haven't like even, getting off the ball. And we haven't even mentioned John Chaney. Like we oh, haven't no. we haven't mentioned him. Like the hiring of him, everybody's like, oh yeah, you know, John Chaney. Dude, that offense was the worst offense Tennessee offense I've seen in years. Even worse than last year. And, and there's really no excuse for that when you have the best one of the best offensive minds in college football. Yeah, I think that right now, I think that right now, looking ahead the rest of this season, Jim Chaney's decision to let Jarrett Garantano make these decisions for himself right now was a very poor one because he had several options that he could have gone with yesterday. You know, going through progressions, even just, you know, finding an open receiver and elected instead, you know, on several situations to throw behind the line of scrimmage or to throw the short route when there was someone open deeper that would have put Tennessee in a better situation or converted on a crucial third down. So I think that, you know, for right now, that Jim Chaney, as far as the offense is concerned, needs to sit down with Jarrett Garantano and say, you know, I've put this in your hands to, to start this season. I trusted you to, to make those calls that I was blind to. But right now, you know, I don't have enough confidence in you to do that. I'm going to take back the reins. And until you show me again that you can make those correct decisions and can make ones that can benefit this football team rather than going with, you know, the, the safe route, the, the bubble route, instead of a post over the middle that'll get a huge first down, then, you know, he's going to take back over the progressions as far as telling Garantano exactly where to throw the football. You know, and as the season progresses, I know we'll be talking more about Tennessee football. We're going to call it quiz here in the next five minutes of this. Let's jump into our power rankings of the state. Let, let me get yours. I, I'll ask you yours, and I'll give you mine. Right now, I would go Memphis, uh, Middle Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Alcoa High School, Ravenwood <laughs> High School, Austin P. <laughs> then let me see, maybe uh, Briarcrest. DT um, Chad. Chattanooga. Yeah, I, yeah. I forgot about Chattanooga. My apologies <laughs> to mom. Um, I would go, um, you know, Pellissippi State. Just Pel no, Pellissippi State doesn't even have a football team. But you know what? Let's just round a bunch of them up, put them in at the next slot, um, <laughs> and then and then way below that, Tennessee. I mean. My rankings, only this, the only difference I would probably do, Memphis, we all know that they're the kings of the state. It's like, it's a given now. Like, it's, we've said that all offseason, you kind of laughed at it, but I think basketball is probably going to take an overturn this year just because of all the stuff, all the, all the turmoil kind of with Rick Barnes and him wanting to leave the program. I mean, Memphis is the king of the state. Until proven otherwise, Memphis is the king of the state of Tennessee. I mean, they just... Just are. So Memphis number one, Vanderbilt number two, middle three. And then, I mean, I guess you would have to put Tennessee over the FCS schools. I mean, I realistically, you would hope. 
I mean, I could be wrong. And that, like, that's what scares me because I know UT Chat, they play Tennessee this year, don't they? Yeah, UT Chat plays Tennessee. Yes, they do. That's not a, that's not a guaranteed win. Like, UT Chat has some very good ball players. And so, I guess you put, I, I'm just going to go out on a limb. UT Chat four, uh, Tennessee five. I think that that's, you can make an argument for that. I, I really, I don't even know what UT Chat did. I just know that it can't be much worse than coaches not coaching, than players not knowing where to go on the field. So, yeah, UT Chat four, Tennessee five. I think that that's reasonable. I think that that's where it's at right now. Now, next week, Tennessee comes out and wins by 60. Unlikely. Comes out and wins by 60. Then we can talk. Then we can say, all right, Tennessee's probably number four, you know. But until they start doing something, they're going to be behind Memphis, Middle, and Vandy. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what we were saying earlier, you know, in the show, that at this point, after that kind of a loss, Tennessee has to start not just not just rebuilding, not just saying in this week that no positions are guaranteed, no starters are guaranteed. That's a given. But that's a given have, after any loss have, like that. Oh yeah, but they have to be able to say that they have that. Okay, we have to earn back the trust and belief of anyone, not just the fan base, not just media, anyone in the entire country that ever believed in anything good that resembles Tennessee football. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, it's going to look bleak because I mean, after BYU, Tennessee, I mean, who, who's Tennessee schedule after BYU? I, I know they've got Florida, uh, September 21st, I think is whatever. Then they've got South Carolina. Yes, that's right. Got, after, after BYU is Chattanooga. On which September is not guaranteed. 14th. It's not a guaranteed win. Like by any means. Or then, Florida on the 21st. A loss. Georgia, October 5th. That's another loss. Mississippi State, uh, <laughs> October 12th. That's another loss. That's three losses right there. October 19th, third Saturday in October, Alabama. Might as well just go ahead and mark that one down. As, That's you know, a four. Six, maybe even 12 feet under. You know. So what is that? Stick the ball what, are they right at? There. what are they at? Five losses now with after Georgia State? So five yeah, losses. So. So, okay. assuming assuming these are all losses, you know, Georgia State, obviously a loss. Um, okay. BYU, you're marking that as a loss? <sighs> we'll go – I'll go a loss. I just okay. – until proven otherwise. You, you, don't, you don't have to be nice. Give me your honest opinion. Loss. Just go okay, down the so, list. I'll tell you win or loss. So, 0-2, then okay. Chattanooga. Loss or win? I'm just going to go win. Just All right. All just right so, 1-2. Yeah. Florida one and three, Georgia one and four, Mississippi State one and five, yeah. Alabama one and six, obviously. South yeah. Carolina loss one and seven. Not close. Not close either. Like UAB two and seven, maybe. I'll, no, I'll mark UAB is good. UAB UAB won the conference USA last year. They're like no oh, wait, yeah, 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 yeah. Loss. You're, you're right about that. Okay, so loss. one and eight. Okay. Kentucky one and nine. Yeah. Missouri loss mm, one and ten. Okay. Where's that game at? So right now we're looking at a tentative one and eleven, possibly two and ten season for Tennessee. Considering what happens, UAB. Yes. Well, two. We'll, we'll put we'll put two more pending games because UT Chat should be a win. Should yes. Like it, my confidence level though is probably about a fifty-five. 
Like, yeah, it, it's not like one of these like, like, oh my god, we're gonna win this. Like, it's one of these. Okay, let's like should win. Okay, so I mean, the other toss-up games you're looking at uh, UAB and who was the other one? Like the other one that was like anywhere remotely close. UAB and. Just one moment. Let me get it pulled back up here. UAB and okay, so UAB Chattanooga. That's and two. I yeah. would say that I would say at this point that Missouri, considering their loss to Wyoming, might be okay. a toss-up. I like that. And where's the game at, Missouri? It is yes, it's at Missouri because that's a loss. I remember last year they came into Knoxville and yeah. Drew Locke absolutely went ham on the Tennessee yeah, defense. That, that, that's a loss. I mean, Kelly Bryant's going to figure his crap out. Like he's going to figure it out under Derek Daly by November. That's a loss. Like just okay. So yeah. So right now, tentative one and eleven season, going off the Georgia State possibly, loss and possibly and pending a BYU loss. So and then pending UAB. Because UAB is yes. good. Like, UAB is actually, like, a legitimate team. Yes. So, at best, four and eight? At best, maybe? At best, best I would best. say... Three and nine. I would say right now... Let's see, two, three... Honestly, I would say at best, three and nine right now. I, I would say <laughs> at, at best, wins over UAB... Chattanooga and BYU. At best, I mean, at worst, zero and twelve. I, I mean, realistically, yeah, I mean, one eleven. Yeah. I mean, that's that, yeah. that's realistic. I mean, you can make a case. Like, absolutely, you you absolutely could make a case for zero and twelve. So you could go from that's three wins. So basically, staying home unless you travel with me to the New Year Six Bowl for Memphis. Basically, yes. So let's look at Memphis's schedule because I mean we all know Vanderbilt. Let's just say Vanderbilt's going to still win six games and just they'll find a way. Like they'll beat somebody they're not supposed to beat. Actually, let's look at Vanderbilt's schedule because we don't ever give love to Vanderbilt. You're uh, right about that. I was about uh, to say yeah, we yeah. need to well, we need to show some love to the Commodores. Yeah, let's let's show a let's show some love because I mean they put up a good fight against Georgia. I mean they they, 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 they put up a good fight. So I got to pull it up next week at Purdue. That's in fifty fifty. I mean, that's that's definitely a toss up, but Purdue yesterday looked good yesterday. Yeah, big, the big shout outs to the Big Ten. They went nine and zero. I mean, the Big yeah. Ten's nine and zero. I'm gonna go loss for the Commodores. Zero and two. Okay. LSU marked that one down as a loss. That's zero and three. Northern Illinois at home win. So one and three. Okay. Ole Miss. Ed, I'm gonna mark that as a win. Yeah, Ole Miss is terrible. Yeah, so two wins. So we're sitting at two and three now. Okay, cooking here. UNLV, that's three wins, so three and three. Mizzou at home. This could be the game that Vanderbilt, that they're not supposed to win. Let's go with a win. Vanderbilt, four wins there. South Carolina, I'm going to go lost there. Yeah, it's South Carolina. At Florida, so sitting here at four and four. At Florida, lost, so that's four and five. Kentucky, at home, Kentucky's coming off the Tennessee game, which I mean, it's not going to take much effort to win. But let's say a loss. We'll go. We'll go their fifth loss there, right? Yeah, we're looking at their fifth loss. Uh, East Tennessee State, that's a win. Should be a win. So that's five wins. And then obviously 
win. A win in the last one of the season. So, so Vanderbilt goes to the Birmingham Bowl. Which, I mean, that, that's good for Vanderbilt. Like, if you're Vanderbilt, you're happy with that. Yeah, I think I, I mean, think Derek Mason, you know, would be more than happy to clinch a, win, a blowout win over Tennessee in the last game of the season. You know, nice 6-5, six 6-6 and five, six and six record and go around puffing his chest out with the R-State logo all around Tennessee. Which, I mean, you know? but let, let's preference this by saying Vanderbilt can realistically go 7-5. and five. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they can, they can beat Kentucky because, uh, I mean – I know Kentucky's Kentucky, but I mean Kentucky's beatable. You look at Vanderbilt's schedule. I mean, they could easily go seven and five here. So it's not like all hope is lost for the Commodores. I mean, they're going to start off slow because they have a murder row starting off with. But when you look at it, I mean, Vanderbilt's gone down into the swamp and won before. So I mean, Florida's not all that great. I mean, they're good, but they're I mean, it's likely a loss. But you look at Kentucky; that's a winnable game. Then, you know, Mizzou's a winnable game because something could happen to Kelly Bryant, you know. So, let's look at MTSU. I've got it pulled up here. Tennessee State, win. Duke, at home in Murfreesboro, win. So, they're sitting at 2-1 and one after losing to Michigan. At Iowa, let's go 2-2. Two and two. Marshall at home, another win, 3-2. and two. At Florida Atlantic, Florida Atlantic's got nothing this year. So, let's just say that's their fourth win. Come on, don't don't disparage Lane like that. Come on now. So you're gonna go you're so we're gonna disagree here. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go a win there for FAU. Okay, so I've got four wins, you're at three wins for MTSU. Yeah. At North Texas, North Texas got a good team this year. That's a loss. So that's their for me, that'd be their third loss. So I'm sitting at four and three. For you to be you'd be what, three and four? Yeah. Three and four. You're, so you're sitting at three and four. I'm sitting at four and three. FIU at home, they look terrible against Tulane. So that's, that's a win. That's a, that's five and three. I mean, that's five and, and three. And I'm, I'm four and four right now. So At Charlotte, I, that's a win. I mean, Charlotte really doesn't have a whole lot. That's a win. So that's six wins for MTSU on my book. All right. I got five then. So I'm at six and three. Is that what I'm at? Six and three. Yeah. I like that. Rice at home, that's the seventh win. I like that game. I mean, that's, yep. you know. It's at home. Old Dominion, they're good this year. So I've got uh, – that's at home. I'll go a win. I'll go their eighth win. That's realistic. I mean, thoughts? I think that – yeah, I'll, I'll, go, I'll go seventh win on that. And then okay, I'll, I'll, go eighth. I'll go eighth off Western Kentucky in the last okay. one just because I know Tyson Helton put out, you know, a terrible, terrible <laughs> – effort in yeah, the Hilltoppers' first game. So that's a win. I'm, I'm going to go 8-4. and four. I'll go 9-3. and three. I, I think that that's pretty reasonable. They get you the Boga Bowl or something. Yeah, I, get right. you a good, I mean, they probably get you Conference USA championship game, too, if you think about right. it. Let's go on the other, the best team in the state, Memphis, uh, Saturday against Southern University, 2-0. Yes. At South Alabama, 3-0. No doubt. Navy, 4-0. Navy's terrible this year. Yeah, they, they look pretty bad to me, too. Yeah. Louisiana Monroe at Monroe, 5-5-0. Yep. At Temple, this is a loss. I'm telling you right now. Just a, I, It's one of those yeah. weird games. 5-1. and one. That's just – that's a weird game. Uh, Tulane at home, 6-1. and one. Yeah. Tulsa. Tulsa looked terrible. That's another win. That's 7-1. Uh, SMU. That's a win. So eight and one. 
Houston. I'm gonna go loss. I think eight and two. Really? Yeah. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go win. I'm gonna go. I, I just I haven't seen Houston play yet, but as of right now, that's a win. I mean, actually, yeah. no, no. I take that back. No, I take that back. I'm gonna go win for Houston, win over South Florida, and lose to Cincinnati at home. Yes. Okay. So you have two losses on the season. Yeah, I've got eight and two. So it'd be ten and two. So I've got I've got eleven and one. I, I just yeah. Or or ten and two. I don't know why I said eight and two. My bad. I've, I've got eleven and one. I just the only loss coming at Temple, just because Temple always seems to have the Tigers number. Right. Which would lead the Tigers to play in the American Athletic Championship. Let's say UCF. So Tigers host that. Will Tigers win the American Athletic? I think so. I think this year. I think. Even just going off from what I saw in that old Miss game, I'm going to say yeah. So okay, I, okay. I think New Year's Six Bowl for Memphis. So uh, I'll be heading down to Dallas, Texas on January 1st. I'm, I'm like, I'm game for that. Like, I'm legitimately, legitimately excited, hopefully, to cover that in Jerry's world. Yeah. I mean, how could you not be? Like, that's a beautiful. So Tigers, New Year's Six Bowl, Mer- MTSU, let's say Boga Bowl for the Conference USA champion. So they play down in which I mean that's a pretty good consolation. You go to Boga Raton. I mean that's that's pretty decent too. Then yeah. uh, Vanderbilt Birmingham Bowl. We we'll go Birmingham. Yeah. Yep. And for Tennessee the Toilet Bowl. So yeah, all I mean nice Vanderb- and rounded out. Vanderbilt gets to go to the beautiful and uh, very spacious Legion Field. I love that place. <laughs> it's, I love it. It's historic, but it's a his- it's. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's something. It's a okay. No, I said that wrong. It's a crap hole, but it's a historic yeah. crap hole. I mean, yeah. You walk on the field, you're like, okay, Bear Bryant coast here, but you're also like, uh, am I going to make out of this stadium alive? Yeah, like, like how did these players not get concussions every time they fell on oh, the cement like field? Without a doubt, and like the thing about it is, like the press box, like literally is like so tight. Like, and I love the people at the Birmingham Bowl, but that. I'm so ready for that new stadium. I'm just like, when Memphis starts playing UAB again in football, like I don't want to go to the old, like I don't want to go to Legion. I want to go to that new progressive. I think it's progressive field. I think is what it is. Progressive field. I don't yes. know. So, but Jake, closing remarks. See, we've gone on an hour and about 45 minutes of this has been talk about Tennessee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so closing will, remarks on your volunteers. Closing remarks. I really don't know that there's anything that you can say that that would brighten the the dark cloud that looms over Knoxville right now. But you know, hey, at least we're still alive. Um, God is I good. Know it doesn't. I know it doesn't feel like it. But you know, in in one of the groups that I saw today, in one of the in one of the fan message boards that I came across, a guy posted a picture of his granddaughter who I, I can't remember what, what it is exactly, but she's dealing with some sort of um, disease that affects her ability to walk. And she was wearing checkerboard overalls yesterday. And he oh, posted awesome. that and said, he posted that and said, you know, all the arguing about the game is well and good. And, you know, I'm as upset as any of you guys. I grew up a Tennessee fan, but there are bigger things than football. And so Tennessee fans, I think, that although it's hard to face right now, you know, there are bigger things than football and the sun will come out. And I know that we didn't like it whenever Jeremy Pruitt said that because it seemed like he was shrugging off a loss. But I promise you that life will go on. You will be okay. 
at least you have your health. Jake, tell them where they can follow you on Twitter. Face, I, yeah, I don't know. Well, no, not Facebook. LOL. Uh, well, yeah. Twitter? Uh, yeah. Twitter. yeah. Um, so, well, in light of the fact that I know I just went on a little rant about how football is not the end-all, be-all, but if you want to see some good football, meaning high school football in the Knoxville which, area. Which, by sure. the way, let me add a plug here. Let me add a plug here. Jake, what he's doing at the place he's about to tell you right now, you need to go check it out. Like, when he tells you to go check it out, his high school coverage, I'm telling you, is the best high school coverage in the country. And it's not even close. Like, it's just not close. Jake, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. So, so uh, go follow me at jnichols, J-N-I-C-H-O-L-S underscore 2121. If you listen to our podcast regularly, I should not have to keep spelling that. But it seems like people always misspell my last name, so I will do it anyway. J Nichols, N-I-C-H-O-L-S, you heard it again, underscore 2121 on Twitter. And then also Your High School Sports. Go to yourhighschoolsports.com. Go to Y-H-S-S underscore the underscore mag on Instagram. Go on Y-H-S-S underscore magazine on Twitter. Got a lot of great content coming out this week. I know that West got a big win over Farragut last week. A lot of exciting things happening here in East Tennessee for high school football, even if they aren't on the gridiron for the volunteers. So be sure and go give those a follow. We will keep you guys updated all season. And Mitch, uh, as far as the Vols are concerned, hey, let's let's look on the bright side. At least there's some good high school football right now. Oh, exactly. He's my co-host, Jake Nichols. I'm the other co-host, Mitch Davis, from the other beautiful, happy Amazing. By the way, happy 901 day to my people in Memphis. Like, let's go. Uh, go Tigers. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter, Mitch Davis underscore eight. Like my Facebook page, The Mitch Davis Show, for my other podcasts that I do. Also, follow all my work, tigersportsreport.com or rivals. Uh, no, yeah, rivals underscore Memphis on Twitter. Uh, I'm all over the place covering the Tigers this year. Jake, it's been an honor as usual. Dude, please, please make it through this if not you can come down to the dark side and become a tiger i don't think i would allow myself to do that but thank you for the kind offer i mean penny hardaway mike norvell how could you not want this like it's it's awesome i would be okay with mike norvell i would probably and do throw up every time penny hardaway is mentioned so i i will decline (laughs) that but thank you man jake it's been a pleasure dude we will record i guess sometime this week whenever Tennessee does something else that is worth talking about for two hours. So 